Today is Tony, the great Tony, uh, director and agent of P4P Sports Management. How are you today, man? I'm very good, George. Thanks for inviting me. I'm, I'm, I'm glad everyone's good over there. Yeah, 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 for sure, Tony. So it's, let me just tell you a quick story over here. So it's funny. I came across Tony through a YouTube video. So I was just searching on YouTube one day about, you know, I guess life as an agent or being an agent. I forgot what I searched, but I came across a, a video of, of that. I, don't, I think it was your cousin you said that put it on YouTube, correct? Correct. Yes. For his dissertation, for his university degree. Yeah. So it's funny because you told me that you didn't even know that was so love. You, th you thought it was embarrassing. <laughs> uh, completely embarrassing. The, the deal was that it would never see the light of day. But unbeknownst to me, one day he popped it on YouTube. <laughs> no, Tony, it was actually really good. You know, the thing I actually liked about it was how real it was, because that's kind of what drove, like, drove me to like go in um, go message you. I found you on LinkedIn, of course. So that's what made me go, made me rather go try mm -hmm. to message you because of the fact that it was just so real and authentic. Uh, it wasn't flashy, if that makes sense. You weren't like living sort of like a glamorous life like everyone thinks an agent does. It was just sort of, you know, you have another side job as well. So that's yeah. kind of what drove me to like go message you in the first place. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, yeah, it was, it was pretty real. That's what he wanted. So it was good. Yeah, Tony. So you grew up in the UK, correct? Yeah, born and raised in the UK. Born and raised. And we're whereabouts in the UK, London, or where? Where? Yeah, no, I was I was born in London. I was born in North London, um, very very close to uh, Arsenal Stadium. Um, so that's my allegiance. That's my club. Uh, as a kid, um, you could you could hear the the screams from the stadium wow. uh, fr from my house when I was a kid. So that's probably what maybe got me into football. And what, do you have any like great memories? Like what's the most, like, I guess, from like looking back and, you know, listening to the crowds and all that, what's the best memory you have back then? Uh, from when I was a youngster, you mean, when I was living there? Yeah, we, we, because I was young, you know, I'm talking under 10, under 10 years old, et cetera, and stuff like that. Um, when match days were around, it was, parking congestion so people used to park their double park their cars um, <laughs> which they weren't allowed to do so our street was always getting jammed and blocked and stuff like that so that's one of the first experiences of a, of a match day situation but you know as a youngster I remember with my friends we'd either be playing in the garden or in the street uh, playing football or whatever um, and you could hear the goals go in you could hear the crowd cheering for a goal way before it would be on the TV or the radio or, or whatever. So obviously it would drive us mad. And, you know, as a kid, you'd pretend it was you scoring the goals and stuff. So it's just, you know, it's just something that you, you grow up around and with. So it was cool. No, that's definitely awesome. I can't even imagine. So I'm actually a Manchester United fan. So I can't even imagine, you know, growing up near Old Trafford and, you know, hearing the crowd and all the goals going. That mm. must have been a wonderful experience for you growing up, Tony. Yeah, yeah, it was cool. It was pretty. It was... It was a good time, put it that way, it was a good time. You know, <laughs> yeah, the ambition always... was always to go to the ground, to get old enough to go to the ground, or, or your parents or uncles or whatever to take you. Yeah, for sure. And how, what's that like? Because, again, the atmosphere in the U.S. of soccer, obviously still growing over here with MLS and everything, you're seeing expansion, et cetera. Mm. But what's it like 
what's like, what, well, rather, what's it like, you know, growing, growing up as a football fan in the UK in particular? How crazy does it get? Well, much like the, U, U, the US, the US has got what, you know, its own football, baseball, whatever, and hockey. Yeah. Football for us is the be all and end all. Yeah, there's, there's nothing else. People, you know, there's obviously other sports, um, but football is the be all and end all. So growing up near the ground, you would, the club represented your part of town, your area. Yeah, so the club was, you know, was your allegiance to them. It was because they were part of your environment, part of your area. Uh, and that's how, that's how you grow up. Very few people would, would support a rival club. You know, mm. gr growing up, if you lived in or around where, where I lived, that's the club that you supported. You know, if you lived in or around Old Trafford, in your case, you know, or, or Manchester, you'd support Manchester United or Manchester City, you know, depending on the proximity of it. And then obviously things, things have changed through uh, the course of time and through media and exposure and stuff like that. And you can be a Man United supporter sitting in New Jersey, um, <laughs> which was obviously my time unheard of. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but that's that's how it is. You grow up in that environment. You grow up in that area. You have to be an Arsenal fan, you know, or if you're, you know, close to, to Chelsea, you'd have to be a Chelsea fan. So there would very rarely overlap. And I hear it's, you. It's brilliant. It, you know, it's tribal. It is football. Is tribal. Do you, do you ever see it getting like that in the U.S. with regards to soccer? Or you think it's just because there's so many different sports over here that it's nearly impossible for it to occur? I think it's taken on a different concept um, in the States. Um, I think one of the, the people that support the club, whatever club it is, you know, I don't know, New York Red Bulls, whatever, they love that club, yeah? Um, I don't, because they're all franchises, New York Red Bull one day could go and play in Las Vegas. Right. You know, and it takes, what happens to the fans? Yeah. You know, so I think in, 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 in effect, it, it loses that tribalism, you know, um, because I, I can never go and support another team. If my team left and went somewhere else, which they never would, I'd have to follow them. They're my team for, you know, they're my team for life. You know, there's, there's, an exp there's a saying here, you can change your house, you can change your job, you can change your wife, you can change <laughs> your religion, but you can never change your football team. You know, I don't get that same feeling from the States. I don't mean they're not passionate about their sport or, or, or the club at the time. But, you know, especially in, in, in American football, in the NFL, uh, you know, clubs move around all the time. And then, you, you know, yeah. one day you could be supporting, um, I don't know, the LA Raiders and the next day they're the Las Vegas Raiders or, or, or whatever. You, yeah. It doesn't work. You know, it doesn't work here. No, I, I hear mean, you. I you I'll give you a, a case in point. The only time that something like that's ever happened is when Wimbledon FC were going through financial difficulties. Wimbledon is, is London Cup. Um, they were in the Premiership at one point. I think they were in the Premiership second, first division when this happened. They were going through a financial crisis and somehow, some way, the new owners managed to move the club from Wimbledon, which is in South London, up to the Midlands, in the middle of the country, in a place called Milton Keynes, and rechanged the name to Milton Keynes Dons. That's the only time it's happened here. But the fans didn't move with them. The fans didn't want to lose the identity they had, their tribal feelings they had for their club, 
So they formed their own club and they called it AFC Wimbledon. And over a period of whatever it is, 10, 15 years, they've actually managed to get it back into the, the professional league structure. Wow. And I think to date, they're, uh, I think they're in league, uh, league One, which is the third tier of, of, of professional football. So that's what it means to people. You, you know, you take my club away, you, it doesn't happen. So they went and formed their own club and started from the ground up, grassroots, playing in a local park, and slowly over four, five, ten years, whatever it is, brought it back. That's amazing. Yeah, and I, I completely agree with you there. I think that's definitely missing here in, in the U.S. in terms of that because, again, like you said, you need that tribalism, and you don't have that here. We're really missing that. Do you think that has something to do with, uh, you know, promotion relegation kind of, or do you think that's sort of a separate uh, topic? No, no, no. That, that has a lot to do with it because, I mean, obviously you, you guys don't have that over there. We have promotion and, uh, uh, and relegation. And you're belonging to that football club. You want the best for it. Yeah. Not everyone's going to win a title. Not everyone's going to win a trophy. You know, there's only, there's only four trophies to play for, essentially, yeah. you know. Um, and there's four, uh, there's, there's four promotions and relegations to go for. Um, so that feeds into it. So it, it, they represent you and they represent your area, um, whether you support Arsenal or Manchester United or you support Torquay United in, the, you know, in whatever division they're in now. It's yours. It's your club. You want them to go up. You want them to go as far as, uh, as they can. So, yeah, that does sort of, you know, it feeds into it. Promotion, I think, and, and relegation is a big thing. No one wants to get relegated. You know, and it's in, it, it's, it, it hurts. You know, I'm lucky enough to support, um, um, you know, I'm lucky enough to support a major club, you know, one of the biggest clubs in the world. Not everyone does. And people have to suffer relegation, you know, and it hurts. You know, it, the, the whole town or the whole area suffers, from, uh, you know, because of it. Unfortunately, well, fortunately for you guys, it doesn't work like that. And it, I think it takes a little bit of the passion away from the game. You no, know, this game, every game means something. No, I completely agree with you, Tony. I think that's something that definitely maybe won't ever happen over here because I guess mm. all these new clubs that you're seeing coming to rise here in MLS, they're building these big stadiums. So for them to, you know, eventually get relegated, I don't think, I mean, they don't even sell out, I don't think, as on the MLS side as it is. So what's going to make them sell out, you know, if they go down mm. to the USL Championship, which is, which is the second tier here, or even the USL 1, which is the third tier. So yeah. that's definitely the concern from their perspective. But I think overall to grow the game here, you need that tribalism. You need promotion, relegation to get the fans going. You know, imagine a team starting from the fourth tier, you know, working all the way up to the, the first tier. That's definitely an amazing story. And we'll mm. be that passionate fan over here. Yeah, yeah, exactly. One, you know, one, one, 100%. I think you need that personally. Yeah, and then you, it's funny because you mentioned the cups, right? So you guys have over there, I, I think I read something they were trying to take away either the Carabao Cup, I think it was, or the FA Cup. What's the difference between those two? I always get those a little confused. Okay, so the FA Cup is the oldest uh, football um, cup in the world. Yeah, it was the first one. So everyone, everyone is familiar with what a cup competition is. It's a knockout. Um, so the FA Cup is for the whole of the Football Federation, yeah? So yeah. FA stands for obviously the Football Association, uh, um, uh, and in this case in, uh, for, for, for England. So everyone that is affiliated to the Football Association is able to participate 
uh, in the FA Cup. So it's a big, pres or it, it used to be way more prestigious. Um, things have changed, but it is a big prestigious uh, competition because every, everyone plays for it. You can play from it from grassroots level. To give you an understanding, the, the final is held in May. Traditionally, it's held in May uh, every year. Um, and this competition starts right down from grassroots level. So we're talking, you know, obviously the top four divisions, we're talking 15 divisions down. You know, any local can, can, can get in there. So it feeds its way up to obviously, you know, uh, to the major uh, teams playing. Um, so towards the latter stages of the competition, everyone's involved. And then the professional clubs come in. Uh, and then the, 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 the bottom two professional leagues join. Uh, and then I think in round three, the top two uh, join. Uh, I might have got that wrong a little bit, but anyway, you, you, you can yeah, get the yeah. message. So that's a big, big, prestigious uh, competition. So that's the FA Cup. The Carabao Cup, so it is open to everyone. The Carabao Cup, which is officially the League Cup, is just for league teams. So in other words, the, t the teams in the top four divisions. And again, that's filtered. That um, the, the, the two bottom leagues start off first. Uh, and then it filters up and then the two bigger leagues uh, join. But it's essentially just for the, the, the league, uh, just the league professional teams. So I think there's 92 uh, league teams. So they're the only ones that are entitled to play in that competition. And that's, it's a recent invention. It's sort of early 60s that this, uh, this cup competition began, whereas the FA Cup actually predates the league, yeah. um, the formation of, of the Football League. Um, you know, it started off in the 1800s. It was, you know, it was originally played when, by the people who formed, who basically invented football. You know, so that, that was, that was the, that, that's why it's the most prestigious competition. So there, there is a differing um, uh, ethos in, in, in it, but listen, you want to win it. So, you know, the, 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 the strata goes, you want to win your league, so the Premiership, the FA Cup, League Cup, and then whatever else, you know, there is. So the FA Cup does, I guess, supersede the Carabao Cup right now, right? Do you think that yeah. it's smart for them to try it and take away the Carabao Cup? I guess the complaint well, they, is I guess the complaint is that is the schedule, right? There's so many games, you know, you have it, especially with COVID now, all the games are packed. I don't even think they're doing yeah. League Cups right now, but League games rather, but that's, I guess that's incentive, right? To make the schedule, I guess, a little less hectic. Do you agree with that? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, there was there was talk of the Carabao being dropped uh, this year, but obviously finance and money and sponsors and stuff like that have a big part in that. Um, so they they, they shoehorned it in, um, and they shoehorned it in with obviously all the other competitions. Um, right now, it's because listen, everyone, no one. If you get knocked out of the, of the Carabao Cup, especially as a big club, you, you don't really care. Yeah, you don't really care because it's just, it's it's hasn't got that meaning. But when you get into the latter stages of the competition, especially you know, let's say the semi-final, you want to win it. You know, it suddenly becomes important because it's a trophy. You want to win it. But before that, most of the big clubs are now obviously uh, the, the 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 first division. Uh, sorry, the the championship, which is our first division. Um, they the. They put a lot of the kids in, a lot of the junior players in, you know, a lot of the reserve team players in, just to give them game time. Um, so they don't take it that seriously. But as I said, as soon, soon as it becomes real 
and we've got a chance to win this, then, you know, the major clubs want to win it. You know, but for me, it's, it's a trophy. You know, if it's there, you, ha you know, you, you have to... Yeah, and essentially, once you get into the latter stages of the competition, everyone wants to win it. But the bigger clubs have devalued it by playing their, their, their B teams, and in some cases, their youth teams, um, in, the earliest, in, the earlier, uh, in the earlier rounds. So it's devalued it. Oh, for sure. Until it gets to a point where you want to win it. Oh, yeah, for sure. I think that's definitely, again, cup is a cup at the end of the day. And like you said, money talks. So I don't see any of these cups being dropped anytime soon. And I kind of mm. want to switch a little, uh, you know, a little bit of topic over here. Yeah. So, again, so you said part of the reason why you became an agent was, you know, you're growing up right next to, you know, watching Arsenal play and hearing the fans. So what was your experience like when you first started out? And, like, just tell me a little more about that. It was uh... – Pretty tough. It's, I mean, it's, 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 a, it's, a, it's a tough profession. Um, there's, there's a lot of things that go on. There's a lot of sharks, but it was, it was never something, it was actually never something I, uh, I thought I could get into. And I never really gave it a lot of thought. I sort of fell into it. Uh, really. I've always played football from, from a kid, uh, growing up, etc. As an adult, played good level football, etc. When I got a little bit too old, I started managing my, my um, or coaching, as you guys say. Um, my son's uh, team um, and I just you know I, my life path went somewhere else um, then all of a sudden you know life has a way of you know changing your di uh, your direction I just suddenly got involved in it through just pure chance and I thought wow this is you know football I love football you know it's something that that interests me or whatever suddenly got involved and it's you know it's not it's not easy it's hard people think it's easy people think you just sit there um you know you, you answer a phone call you go and talk to someone you get a player and you just end up having money it's not you know most agents don't make a living you know it's only the top echelon like most things that it's the one percenters that make all the money yeah. you know the, the rest of us have to you know, have to earn, a, you know, earn our crust and it's 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 hard hard work so there's been a lot of pitfalls uh, there's been a lot of false dawns. There's been a lot of sharks eating around me. Um, but as I said, it was just something that I fell into. No, well, yeah, and I, I, I kind of hear that story a lot. Again, you know, and talking to people, you know, this past year. So I actually started out this year as well. And it's kind of like you, right? Like kind of just been falling into it and trying to learn about the industry and stuff. That's what we're talking to as well. Just been connecting yeah. with a lot of people. And it's the same thing. People think, have this misconception that, uh, you're going to make money right away. You're going to be rich like that top 1%. But the reality is that, like mm. you said, you're likely not going to make a living from it. You're doing it because you're sort of passionate for it and you want to stay mm. in the sport, not because of the money, because that's likely not to happen. Not saying it won't happen, but that's likely mm. not the case for many. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and, and especially now that they've, um, the last, what, three, four years, they've relaxed the entry structure to become an agent. Or now they, they, they call us football intermediaries. Um, so they've relaxed that and literally anyone can become an intermediary now and it's a free-for-all and you know as I say, everyone thinks it's you know it's a gravy boat here or a gravy train um, it's not it's hard work and people you know soon realize that because you know right now to become an agent you, you've literally you've got to fill in a form send it send in your, your your fee whatever it is and that's it essentially that's it when, when I started when I did it I had to sit an exam I had to study you know, I had to learn all the laws. I had to learn, you know, the laws of FIFA, the laws of the FA, et cetera, et cetera. Took, you know, and, uh, took my test, passed my test, paid my insurance, paid my, my, my whatever, and, and worked. 
Right now, just pick up the phone, fill in a form, bang, you're done, you're an agent. It shouldn't be, well, first of all, it shouldn't be that easy. Uh, and B, but it gives a false, false impression because there's thousands of agents out there at the moment. And, you know, they think, I just get a player and I've made it. It doesn't work like that. You know, you're not going to pick up, if you're lucky, you'll pick up a Messi, you know, but it's not. You're not going to pick up a Messi, you know. There's only one Messi. Right. You know, don't get me wrong. There's money to be made in here. You know, there's money to be made in football, but it's, it's, a, hard, it's a hard slog. You know, it's work like anything else. Yeah, for sure. Exactly. And I think especially in those agents like me starting out, I have to realize that sooner rather than later that it's not like it's not as easy as people make it out to be. And that, again, you have mm. to put in the work and you actually have to love doing it, have a good, good intentions behind wanting to be, be in the industry in the first place uh, rather than, you know, chase the money. Because that's definitely, again, if you mm. don't land on a messy in the beginning, what's the likelihood of, of yeah. that? Right. So, again, uh, very, very important there. Very important point. And so have you, do you have any like maybe transfer stories, I guess you can share, maybe not get into specifics, but like uh, maybe any, like a very bad instance you had, like maybe perhaps you had someone that you thought was going to get, you know, the club was a willing and they told you, oh, we want this player. And then all of a sudden at the last second, they changed their plans. Have you had anything like that happen? Oh, there's, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Listen, never trust the club. Yeah. Never trust the club. There's, there's many stories where, um, Clubs have said to you, yeah, I'm going to, I want this player, I'm going to take this player. Last minute, um, they, oh, sorry, we've, got, we've gone another way. You know, you have to understand clubs have a list of who they want. They have a top target and then, or the, or, you know, target two, target three, target four, whatever. So if they don't get their top target, then the, the, the rest come into play. But if you're, if, if, if you're a clever club, you're, 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 you're juggling, you're balancing all the, you know, all the balls. You're not just going for one player, you're going for five players, you know. So you're going for your top target. If he doesn't come, you're still in the running for, the, for, for number one. So we've had a lot of instances where, you know, we might not have been the top target for, uh, for, for, for clubs. And you think, okay, we're all done, sealed, delivered, just waiting. Um, and then, you, you know, you get, you get the inevitable call. Sorry, we've gone another way. Um, but listen, I've been lucky. I'm not a big agent by any means. I, you know, I don't have many, many players. And that's... You know, that's partly out of design, you know, because you can only look after a certain number of players properly. Um, we haven't had that a lot. Most of the, most of the deals that, 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 that we've done, the club, I know, the, you know, the club wants the player and it gets smoothed over, you know. Um, it's, it's nice and easy. There's deal, deals can be done very easy. If everyone is on board, deals can be done very easily and very quickly. And that's what, that's what we like to do. And that's what I like to do. You know, I mean, I, I moved a, a quick case in point. I moved a player over from Holland uh, to, uh, to the UK, to a premiership club in the UK. We literally did it in under a week. And we did everything over email. Boom, 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 boom. Because I knew they wanted him. We were happy to come. We sorted out backwards and forwards a couple of times the contracts or whatever. And it was done. Nice and easy. And that's how, that's how it should be. They were happy. We were happy. You know. But that's not to say we haven't been turned over by either a club or, or, or another agent or even a player. It happens all the time. And it, it's not nice. It hurts. <laughs> <laughs> no, for sure. Especially when you, you're, you know, you're about to get your payday. Not even that, just making that transfer happen. And then all of a sudden it just get pulled for you. It must definitely suck. And then, so like, what, what advice would you have to young agents out there, right? Like, what do you think is the most important thing uh, when starting out? 
Uh, be truthful, be honest, don't, and don't overpromise. You know, that's, uh, uh, this, this may, it, it may sound bitter, um, but a lot of agents out there overpromise. Yeah, they, you know, they'll approach a player, oh, I can get you, I've seen you, you're a really good player, blah, 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 blah. I'm going to get you to, I don't know, Arsenal, Man United, this, that, and the other. And it doesn't happen. Mm-hmm. You, know, you have to understand, you have to understand your player. Yeah, you have to see the level that, listen, we all want the player to, to, to go as high as possible, but you have to understand his level. Um, so don't overpromise. That's the, you know, that's the, the, the probably the, the best bit of informa- uh, information I can give anyone, or advice rather, is don't overpromise. You know, only promise what you, what, what you can deliver. Be open and honest uh, to, to your client and, 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 and treat the players as your client. They're not yours. They're not your property. You know, I, I, I hear a lot of people say, and I say, I fall into this. I say, oh, my players. You know, I get my players. They're not my players. I work for them. You know, that, and, and I believe that's how it should be. You're, you know, you're effectively an employee because I'm here to represent and get the best interest for my client. You know, not my player. And if, if I believe if you have that attitude with it, you know, everything will be fine. But there's too many that look at the other way. It's what I can get out of the player. It's not, you know, you only, as, and for me, an agent only succeeds if your player succeeds. Yeah. You know, that, that, that's, that's how I believe it. And, I, you know, and if we're being brutally honest and brutally frank, frank yes, we provide a service. Of course we do. You know, um, and that's what, you're, that's, what you're get, that's what you get paid for. You're there to provide a service for your client. You know, and if you don't provide that service, then you're not, you know, you, you're doing everyone an injustice. You know, you work for the client. You work for the player. That's, that's basically the advice that I can give. I completely agree there again, Tony, with you. Like that, again, me just starting out, I'm always brutally honest with people too. Like, hey, I'm just getting started out. You know, I'm not going to tell you I can do this and this for you, but this is what I can provide. This is the contacts I have right now. I'm still growing. Always honest with players because I, I believe in that as well. I'm not trying. I just like look at it from their perspective. Like uh, if I were a player, do I want to be scammed or overpromise or anything like that? I don't. So it's, it's just the basic principle of, you know, treating people how you want to be treated, as cheesy as that may sound, but that's, that's simply the case with the situation. Yeah. yeah, exactly, exactly. I mean, and, and another thing I say to, play, uh, to, to, to players, but especially with, with, we're negotiating with, is it's all about you. It's all about the player, you know. Doesn't matter. I, I, I could be the worst agent in the world, but if you're the best player in the world, every door will open, and I will look like a great agent, you know. I'm not opening the doors. You're opening the doors. And a player will always open the doors. You know, yes, of course, I can, you know, I can do my bit. I can speak to clubs, make them aware of this player. But if, you know, if your player is no good, it doesn't matter who I am. You know, it doesn't matter if I'm the greatest agent in the world, you know, George Mendes or, you know, whoever. They're not going to take the player if he's no good. But if the player is good, then everyone will take your call. You know, absolutely everyone will take your call. So it's always about the player. Player is the kingpin. And, you know, if you don't understand that, then for me, you're not a good agent. No, that's, again, exactly right there. The player is the kingpin. That's, that's a great way of putting it. Because, again, without the player, there's nothing. Like you said, of course, we mm. help out in some certain ways. But, 
again, the, the, the player is definitely the person who opens the door at the end of the day. So I also saw in that video too, that you work with some youth players as well. Just tell me about the process of working with those young players and, and those early stages, you know, building those relationships from the beginning. Well, it's, it's exactly what you've just said. It's about building a relationship. Um, and because, you know, at the time that you're talking about in the video, um, we were quite new to the industry. Uh, so it's difficult to attract, uh, and we're not, as I said, we're not a big agency. I'm not a big agent, whatever. It's quite difficult to attract established players, uh, you know, uh, in, into your company. Um, so you have to go the, 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 youth, the youth way. So however they come around, whether it's by recommendation or by you scouting or, or, or whatever, um, you build a relationship with, with, with the player. Um, and, 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 and you foster an understanding between, between you that we're in it for the long haul, you know? So that, for me, that's, that's, that's how we grow. That's how I grow. That's, you know, as a business, um, is, I, I mean, I, I get most of my players from recommendation. I don't have, I don't have many, but it's all, all by recommendation. So someone will recommend me to go and see this boy or, or the family or whatever. So it's, it's fostering that relationship with the player and with, with the family, especially if they're, if they're younger, if they're like 16, 17 or whatever, um, you know, you, you, they have to believe in you as well as you believing in, 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 in the player that he's going to, you know, he's got a career in front of him. They have to believe in you that you can deliver for their child, uh, essentially. You know, when you're 16, 17, whatever, you're, you're still a child. You're still someone's child. Um, so it's about building that, that framework and, uh, of support, uh, uh, an understanding and a relationship with the, with the whole family, you know, and hopefully if things go to plan and the, the, the player progresses, you will grow together. Um, and that, you know, that's, that's how, that, that's how we've approached it, especially in the last couple of years is to, is to find good, talented, hardworking players. Um, and hopefully they stick around with us because, you know, our, as you know, our contracts are only valid for two years. Yeah. You know, so you could put all the groundwork in and then boom, some massive agency or whatever will come down and swoop and put them in their warehouse because that's what big agencies do. <laughs> they just warehouse players. No, that's, that's exactly right. I've, I've heard a lot of stories about that, definitely. And maybe players are starting to realize that a little more now because I've heard stories, players telling me, hey, yeah, I'm part of a big agency, but they're not treated right mm -hmm. or they don't pay attention to me. And of course, you know, there's pros and cons to that. But like you said, Essentially, it is just a warehouse full of players, right? Yeah, that's what it is. That's what it is. I mean, I look at some of the big agencies and they've got, you know, some of them have got hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of players. Okay, they've got a lot of agents that look after these players, but most of the agents are working with, I don't know, 10, 15, 20 players. How, how does that work? You know, yeah. How do you look after someone? You haven't got enough hours in the day, so someone's going to slip through the, 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 the gaps. I mean, I've heard plenty of stories, probably much like you have, where the player doesn't see the agent until it comes down to when his contract's being renewed. And then suddenly they're materialized because that's when the money, that's where the money is. You know, whereas someone like me and hopefully someone like you, you're with, you're, you know, you're with your client 24 hours a day, you know, not maybe not physically, but you know, on the phone or this or that, or speaking to them, but keeping in contact, you know? So yeah, as I said that, we haven't grown to a, an exponential state because we don't want to, you know, I, I, you know, I, I can only look after really four or five players, maybe six max and give them quality. 
you know, that, and you know, I don't, as I said, I'm not a warehouse. <laughs> I mean, you know, I'm a bespoke agency. I like that. I'm a bespoke agency. <laughs> that has a nice ring to it, right, Tony? Yeah. No, I completely agree with you. Yeah, I completely agree with you then. Like, I don't want to have like a hundred clients, you know, or players, you know, whatever. I just want to have a few, you know, that can actually look after and then, you know, it goes from there. I think that's the mm -hmm. right way to do it. But again, that's where I guess these players are start, starting to realize now that maybe being with a big agency isn't always the best route for them to take because it doesn't necessarily mean it's going to advance their career. Because again, like you mm. said in your earlier point, it comes down to the player's quality at the end of the day. It doesn't matter who the agent is, the best agent, the worst agent, it comes down to the player at the end of the day. Mm. 100%, 100%. If the player's no good, you're not going anywhere. It doesn't matter who you are. Yeah, and then and staying on that topic with, uh, you know, young players and academy players, I'm sure you heard that story. I believe it was Jeremy Winston from the Man City Academy, he, like, he, was he was released and then a few days later, I'm not sure the complete story, he took his own life. That was, pr that was yeah. a pretty sad story to hear. Uh, do you think that this will not open the eyes, maybe like open the eyes to those clubs, maybe take a different approach, you know, maybe more psychological classes, things like that? Uh, I would like to think so. I mean, it's a tragic, tragic story. Um, you know, it, I mean, it's, it's, it's horrible. It really, really is horrible. But unfortunately, I'm going to be pretty critical of clubs, but also, you know, to tell you how it is. Most, I mean, a lot of clubs do have psychologists or, you know, whatever, you know, looking after the players. And it, it, and it, um, it depends on, on, on the stature of the club. So the bigger the club, the more money they've got to spend on psychologists and media analysts, whatever, all, all this stuff. So the players are looked after, but the environment a player, a young player is, is in is completely cutthroat. And the majority of clubs, whether by design or, uh, or accident, um, are completely cutthroat. You know, um, the, the, if a player's come through the, 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 the academy, let's say from 11 until 16, uh, and is either released at 16, that's all the player knows. Doesn't know anything else. You know, he's always been led to believe that I'm going to become a professional footballer. I'm going to become a professional footballer. Very few clubs um, protect a child in that instance, you know, because not everyone's going to make it. Not, you know, there's, there's whatever. How many in, in a squad? Let's say 20 in a squad, you know. You'd be lucky if one or two make it. Yeah, so what happens to the rest? There is, that, there is no duty of care, to, uh, I believe, to, to the ones that have, have been jet, jettisoned and, uh, and thrown, thrown away. And then that gets, it becomes tenfold when you become a scholar, you know, uh, between 16 and 18 uh, in, the, in, in England, you're termed a scholar. So it's like a part-time professional. You're supposed to get an ed, a, some sort of education, but also football. Um, and that's when you really start to open your eyes as a young player and, and see, right, I, I can make this, I can make this. You're literally at the last hurdle. And then when that gets taken away from you, your whole, you know, your players just go into a free fall. You know, and some players, if they're not mentally stable or they haven't got the environment around them or, or you know, be it family or, or uh, of a club, they go into a spiral. You know, that, um, you, you see a lot of players that, ha that are... Um, really good in you know 16 to 18 in an academy and playing at major clubs that drift out of the game they should have a career somewhere they should be going into 
smaller clubs, but they drift out of the game because they can't get their head round where they were to where they are now. Yeah. You know, and it, it, it's, it's, it's a shame. I mean, I've, I've had players that have been released um, and, and club sale will do everything we can to find them another club and they do nothing. Yeah. They virtually do nothing. You know, it's, le it's left, if, if they're lucky enough to have an agent, it's left to an agent to try and, and find whatever, you know, a, a trial or an opportunity or whatever. That doesn't always work. And the club just literally washes their hands. Now, they've had them since they were kids. They're now more or less adult, not, not quite, adolescent, let's say. And they've just washed their hands of them. And it, it's terrible. It happens every day and it shouldn't. You know, I, mean, I don't want to sound, you know, too down on them. A lot of clubs do provide, you know, some sort of care, uh, aftercare. And, but the majority, from my experience, is once a player's gone, player's gone, they don't care. Done, see ya, next one. It's like a factory. And it shouldn't be. Do you think there's a solution to that, though? Because, again, from the club's perspective, it is a business, right? Like, we always hear that at the end of the day, it is a business. So that is the sort of their process, right? They go through a bunch of players and try to pick out the best. Do you think there's a solution to that? Because, like you said, and then, like, kind of going back to the topic, we, we you know what we were talking about before is the fact that that could be a positive to having an agent as well, developing those relationships, you know, at the beginning, and then, you know, you're guiding a player, and if something like that happens, he, the player at least has someone to go to that can sort of, if it's, if it's a good agent, of course, that can sort mm. of get them, get them through those tough times. But like going back to my question, do you think there is an actual solution to that sort of problem? Um, I wouldn't say a solution, but I think uh, an idea could be the clubs could be more involved in, in the players' well-being. Uh, and what, what, what I mean by that is the, the players are there for one thing to become professional footballers. That's it. They're not going to make it. A tiny percentage will make it. I think, uh, I think the statistic is less than 2% or, or yeah, le less than 1% um, have come from an academy into the under-23 system. So, it, I mean, it's a tiny, tiny proportion from thousands of kids. Um, so there should be more duty of care. Um, you want to be a professional, that's the goal. But what if, what if you don't become a professional? Okay, how is your schooling? So are they pushing, are they doing enough uh, for kids to have a secondary career? You know, they're not all going to make it, as we said. You know, is their schooling up to scratch? You know, can they maybe get a university degree or, or an apprenticeship in some other profession? You know, I, I don't think they're doing enough in, in, in that line. Yeah, they're, they're, as I said, 16 to 18, they're providing some sort of um, education. But really, it's just ticking a box. You know, they'll send the kids off a couple of hours a day or whatever to do a meaningless, I don't know, test or an exam or whatever. Most of the kids don't want to be there. There's no, I mean, and, the, and the clubs have to, literally, I mean, they have to send them, they have to attend, they have to do it, they have to hit a criteria, they have to do this, but there's no structure to it. It's just because the club is ticking a box. Okay, we've done our job but there should be more care in there. Okay, they should look at the individual more. You know, this, this guy could, 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 you know, if he doesn't make it as a professional, could become, I don't know, I don't know whatever, a pilot, let's say. Um, let's, let's help him, let's help him try, and not, not to become, to achieve that, but put him on that path. His education uh, or, or a secondary career has to, for me, has to be as paramount uh, as, the, as, as, as becoming a professional footballer. You know, the kids, um, or oh, the kids, that's wrong. 
the people that, that I work with, um, we always insist, or I always insist, football is your, obviously your number one priority, but it should be tied in with, uh, with school. So if you slack at school, you're not going to become a professional footballer. You know, so the parents are involved as well. You know, education is just for me just as important as, as doing well at, you know, at, um, at playing football. And that's how it should be for the, you know, not that I have the answer, but that's how it should be, for, uh, you know, for clubs. There should be some sort of system in place where it's not just all about football. And I know that's all they're concerned about, but you have to, you know, you have, there's, there's obviously cases in point that we just mentioned. You know, you can't have, you can't have kids taking their own lives. You can't have, I mean, many kids, apart from taking their own lives, they spiral into depression and whatever you know, drugs and drinking and all, all, all this sub things because they just can't take the rejection. There's, there's no safety net and there should be a safety net. Completely agree. And it, again, it is horrible what's happening. I know like that was, I'm sure there's been more cases. I'm, I'm sure that one blew up because of mm. the fact that it was at a, a global club like Manchester City. But again, I completely agree with you, Tony. Something has to be done about this. I hope these clubs will not start, you know, will rather start taking better action and a better approach to this because like you said, again, even with players in general, you're not guaranteed to have a long career, right? It could be taken at any moment. So getting the education is a big part. You even see it with players that are established, they go out and still get the degrees and stuff like that. Because it, even for them that they're making a lot of money, they know that this could all be over in the next week or so. So it's very important to get your education. Yeah, yeah, 100%. It could, you know, it, it could end it, one bad tackle could end a career, you know, God forbid, at 20 or at 28 or 19, whatever, you know, then what'd you do? Not everyone's going to be on two, 300,000 uh, a week. You know, there's, 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 there's players on that are a couple of hundred, you know, there's players with normal mortgages that need to be paid and their careers are ended at whatever it is, 2021. What happens to them? What's their fallback? You know, of course, there's, there's, there's the PFA, which is the Professional Footballers Association, but it's, it's, you know, it's a trade union, it's a trade body, and they're, 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 they try and provide a safety net, but clubs don't provide a safety net, for, for, I, I don't believe, for any of their players. You know, most clubs take out, obviously have, have their players insured. Um, um, so if, if, if his career is ended whilst he's in their employee, they get paid out. Player doesn't get that. You know, they pay that insurance for themselves. They should be mandatory. They should be paying it for the players as well. Mm. You know, we, we, we try and negotiate that into any contract. Most clubs won't do that unless you're obviously a world superstar or, or, or whatever. So the player has to pay that himself. You know, um, um, it should be, for me, it should be mandatory. So if, 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 if the club has an insurance policy in place for his assets, because that's what they are. Players are assets to clubs. Um, and his career is ended. Then they should be paying that for the player as well, because he's done it on your work, working for you, you know, but God forbid the worst happens. What, what, I, don't, I don't know what clubs do for players. And not yeah. all of the same. I know we're talking dark and it's, you know, it's a, it's, it's a horrible subject. Not, and I'm, we're just generalizing. Uh, not all clubs are the same, but that's what's coming out of football. Football's a business. Yeah, for sure. Again, it needs to be, again, it is a business, but there needs to be change like we both talked about. I think we both can agree on that. So moving on from this, Tony, what, what's next for you? And, and, you know, 
<laughs> and your agency? What do you have coming up? Anything interesting? Do you have any spe specific goals in mind for your agency? Well, we've got, we've got a couple of good younger players. When I say younger, they're like 19, 20 or whatever. Um, and we're hoping and praying they're on the cusp of breaking into their, their respective first teams. Um, we're really proud of them. We're, you know, we, we want them uh, to do well you know, for themselves and for their, for their family foremost. Uh, and we're expecting you know, good things from, uh, from all of them. Um, there's a few others bubbling underneath, uh, a couple of younger players. Uh, and listen, football is just hope. It's, 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 it's eternal hope. Um, so for us, it's, what's our plan? Is to, to encourage and, uh, and to protect and to provide uh, a platform for our players to do well. Um, and that's, that's all we, we can really hope for because like I said right at the beginning, if they do well, we do well. And that, that's the be all and end all of it. Yeah, and then how do, you ha how do you handle that though when a player, let's say, might not make it? Have you had those instances in those talks? How, how do you approach that? Because again, like we going back to before, it must be very difficult. Yeah, yeah. We, it, it is very difficult. And, and it's, it's, a, it's a big culture shock. You know, we've had players uh, come out of Premier Academies, you know, Premier League Academies that can't find another club. You know, so it's how you rebuild that, that, that player. Um, you know, they, they might have to start, and, and this is where the culture shock is. They might have to start way down in the non, you know, uh, non-leagues. You know what the non-leagues are? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You, don't get, you, you don't get paid for those leagues, right? Amateurs. Let's say amateurs. Yeah, exactly that. You know, so they may have to go all the way back there. It's a massive culture shock. You know, so it's finding a path back up. Yeah, I've yeah. got you. I've got you. But I thought I lost you from it. Yeah. So you know, we've had that for, for 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 a couple of players, and it's it's trying to rebuild their careers because listen, it's never over until you say it's over. You know, um, so you might have to start down in the seventh, eighth, ninth division, but with hard work, determination, uh, and hard work is the key. And I say that to everyone. You know, my, players have talent. Yeah, players have talent. You might not fit that right club. Yeah, you might not fit it and you might fit somewhere else. And it could be, as I said, nine divisions below, but you want to be up here. So, yeah, well, you work hard, you get back up. And that's what we tell our players. You know, we've had it a couple of times uh, and we try and find options for them where they can play. They might not like it. And, uh, you know, a lot of players don't like it. And a lot of players reject that. Uh, and the ones that are rejected, they just fall by the wayside. You know, because you... you first of all in, in life no one owes no one owes you anything in life yeah and if you know no one owes you a living so you have to earn that you know and if you're not prepared to, to put the hard work in doesn't matter where you were yeah it's you got to put the hard work in so you got to start somewhere you have a step somewhere you know and you make that next step and so on and so on and so on so i always tell the boys it's never where you start it's where you finish that's well said. I, I couldn't yeah, say that. Yeah, I couldn't say. I couldn't have said that any better, Tony. I do have one more question for you, though. It's a little off topic. Uh, that I think it might become a trend in the show. Uh, what What's the most embarrassing song you have on your playlist? <laughs> uh, okay, so um, it is way off topic, but you assume that I have a playlist. 
<laughs> well, or, or rather a favorite, most embarrassing favorite song where I'm, I'm sure you listen to music at some point, right? Uh, listen, I, I, if, if I'm honest, I'm not really into music. I do have a playlist, um, but it's, it's probably, I don't know, um, Come Fly With Me. I can't remember who sings it. I just love that song. Okay, okay. I mean, it's I have- Come. Who, do you know who's it? You know who it's by or no? I think it's Dean Martin, the one I like. Come fly with me, come fly. <laughs> hey, there you go, right? There you go, Tony. <laughs> well, Tony, again, it was a pleasure to have you on, man. I really appreciate it. You seem like a great person. Thanks, George. Great work with your agency. And um, I don't know. Do you have any final thoughts you would like to sh to share or anything? Um, uh, that's a loaded question. Listen, first of all, thanks, George, for reaching out. Um, and thanks for this podcast. I've, I've, I've literally had a blast. Um, uh, it's, it's been horrible during this lockdown and all, all the rest of it to connect with people. Um, so I thank you for that. It's, it's been really nice. Uh, but listen, final thoughts. What, what final thoughts are there in, in, a, in a COVID inspired world? <laughs> you know, it's just basically stay safe, keep your family close, protect each other. That's, that's, that's all anyone can do. The rest will take care of itself. For sure, Tony. I completely agree with you. Again, Tony, pleasure having you on. Stay safe to you, and then we'll keep in touch, and we'll talk soon, all right? Excellent.